welcome to Crossview Radio, weekly podcast for Wayne County. I'm John Marino, pastor of Crossview Church in Orville. We exist to glorify God by exalting Christ and magnifying the gospel for the joy of all nations. Welcome to part two of our series on OCD, or obsessive compulsive disorder. Uh, Last time we gave a definition of OCD, we gave some examples, and discussed... um, what uh, what I perceive to be the shortcomings of CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy, which is the uh, typical way that this problem is dealt with. While there may be some pragmatic value to CBT, its real failure is to take a person all the way to the theological st- stabilizing truths of Scripture. And so, uh, in addition, while um, labeling this as OCD may hold some value in kind of showing us a collection of symptoms, there really is an underlying skewed anthropology, and thus there is a, uh, a, a shortcoming in the fact that the spiritual dimension is missed. We also talked about several manifestations of OCD, and I thought I would share with you uh, this week uh, just the categories. I mentioned some categories. I read a study this week. Um, on OCD and uh, wanted to share some of the classifications that they gave. They gave the following obsessions as possible classifications, aggressive, sexual, religious, somatic, symmetry, contamination, and hoarding. And then those are responded to with the compulsions that we talked about last week. And these would be checking or ordering and arranging, counting, repeating rituals, cleaning, hoarding, and collecting. And out of these uh, obsessions and compulsions, I told you that I wanted to talk a little bit more about the religious one. And the reason that I wanted to do this is because I discovered that some important individuals in church history actually struggled with this one, uh, in in some instances to a pretty significant degree. Uh, One individual that we're going to narrow in on today in particular struggled for years with religious OCD. And, uh, of course, I left you in uh, suspense last time, and so I apologize uh, for any lack of sleep you experienced. Uh, The figure from church history that cataloged his struggle through OCD was none other than John Bunyan. So intense was his personal struggle that Bunyan included it in his allegory, Pilgrim's Progress. And remember from what I mentioned last time, that religious OCD is where you have persistent, unwanted thoughts against God. And so this would include things like blaspheming Christ and then trying to follow that up with some form or fashion of atonement. Now, keeping in line with the theme that OCD is an unwanted thought, uh, this person has a thought pop up into his mind. He knows it's wrong and he tries to get rid of it. I'm going to give to you, as we start this, the statement uh, in Pilgrim's Progress that's kind of a condensed version, and then we're going to talk a little bit about some of how uh, John uh, cataloged uh, this in his autobiography. Pilgrim's Progress, the key uh, paragraph is this, quote, One thing I would not let slip, I took notice that now poor Christian was so confounded that, and here's the important phrase, he did not know his own voice. 
and thus I perceived it. Just when he was come over against the mouth of the burning pit, one of the wicked ones got behind him and stepped up softly to him and whisperingly suggested many grievous blasphemies to him, which he verily thought had proceeded from his own mind, end quote. Bunyan describes these thoughts that pop into the mind as blasphemous thoughts. And so I would like to now introduce you to the OCD world of John Bunyan, given to us through his autobiography, Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. We begin early on in uh, the autobiography with a thought that a church bell was going to fall on him. Bunyan says this, I began to think, how if one of the bells should fall? Then I chose to stand under a main beam that lay overthwart the steeple from side to side, thinking I might stand sure. But then I should think again, well, should the bell fall with a swing? It, it might first hit the wall and then rebounding upon me might kill me for all this beam. This made me stand in the steeple door. And now I thought I'm safe enough. For if a bell should then fall, I can slip out behind these thick walls and so be preserved notwithstanding. So after this, it came into my head, how if the steeple itself should fall? And this thought, it may fall for aught I know when I stood and looked on, did continually so shake my mind that I durst not stand at the steeple door any longer, but was forced to flee for fear the steeple should fall upon my head." This is the case, uh, and actually, let me pause here and ask for your forgiveness. Um, I, I know that Bunyan is uh, uh, a little bit older English here, and so some of the, the phrases may be a little bit um, odd, but hopefully you get the gist of it. Um, he's, he's basically standing in the church, and he's running all these scenarios. What if the bell fell this way? What if it fell that way? What if it fell this way? And finally, he just it's, he says, I was forced to flee. And this is, I think, the case in very severe instances of OCD where the individual is going to seek to avoid any and all situations where they're not in control. Um, So oftentimes, and this is maybe stepping a little bit out of the religious OCD thing, but a lot of times this happens in situations where they have a thought that they're going to harm someone or they're going to kill someone. And sometimes it happens to very, um, in specific instances, like they think they're going to harm a child. Uh, or throw a baby out a window or something like that. And so in that case, a lot of times they'll avoid those situations. So so oftentimes people with OCD will um, just kind of be solitary and uh, avoid situations where they think they might either yell out in a church service or hurt somebody or whatever. Um, and you can see that uh, going on in Bunyan's example here. <clears throat> So now moving forward in the in his autobiography a little bit more, we have a quote from where he said it really started to torment him. Uh, and this is going to get pretty intense um, as we kind of move along here. Um, but uh, it's, it's incredible to see what he went through. But uh, he says this, he says, a very great storm came down on me, which handled me 20 times worse than all I had met with before. It came stealing on me now by one piece, then by another. First, all my comfort was taken from me. Then darkness seized on me, after which whole floods of blasphemies. Okay, this is the blasphemous thoughts where you have a thought in your head that you're saying something against Christ or against God or against the Bible. So he calls it 
he says, after which whole floods of blasphemies, both against God, Christ, and the scriptures were poured upon my spirit to my great confusion and astonishment. He doesn't know why this is happening. These blasphemous thoughts were such as also stirred up questions in me against the very being of God and of his only beloved son as whether there were in truth a God or Christ or no, and whether the Holy Scriptures were rather not a fable and a cunning story. So he's basically saying these thoughts came into his mind, and we're going to see what some of those thoughts were. And it was so intense that he thought, is there even a God? Is there even a Christ? Is there even, uh, is, is the Bible even real? And so this is where uh, he, he begins to catalog uh, where this happens. Um, he, he, he struggled so much that he says this in his autobiography. He says, now I thought, surely I'm possessed of the devil. Uh, he thought the only possible conclusion is that I'm possessed by Satan. If all of these things were to happen to me, he also thought that he would yell something out. And again, a lot of people who, uh, struggle with this think that they're going to yell something out in a church service. So it might be something like uh, a curse word or um, some sexual statement or something where they think I'm going to yell something out. He struggled with this. And um, what he, this is what's interesting about what he says about how he prevented himself from doing that. He says, in so strong a measure was this temptation on me that often I had been ready to clap my hand under my chin to hold my mouth from opening. And to that end, I also had thoughts at other times to leap with my head downward into some muck hill hole or other to keep my mouth from speaking. So he's thinking, he's he's so afraid that he's going to say something that as he says, I'm going to jump head first into a muck hill hole um, to, to avoid trying to say something uh, that, that he shouldn't say. He also had thoughts of actually praying to Satan. So he says this, he says, sometimes also he would cast in such wicked thoughts as these that I must pray to him, that is Satan, or for him. I have sometimes thought of, of that fall down, or if you will, fall down and worship me. Uh, of course, Satan's statement to Christ. And so Bunyan is struggling through that statement. Um, but no matter how much he hated these thoughts, and again, this is the unwanted portion. He did not want this, but no matter how much he hated them, he could never shake them free. Uh, he said this, he says, but it was neither my dislike of the thought, nor yet any desire and endeavor to resist it, that in the least did shake or abate the continuation or force and strength thereof. So he just says, it doesn't matter how much I dislike it. Doesn't matter how much I tried to resist it, it was still as strong as ever every time I tried to resist it. He says, um, for it did always, in almost whatever I thought, intermix itself therewith in such a sort that I could neither eat my food, stoop for a pin, chop a stick, or cast my eye to look at this or that, but still the temptation would come, sell Christ for this or sell Christ for that sell him, sell him. In other words, what Bunyan is describing here is he is saying that any object that that he saw, the thought would come into his mind, you should 
sell Jesus Christ for that. So he's got a glass of water perhaps in front of him and he's going to drink it. And, and the thought pops in, you know, you need to sell Christ for that, that drink of water. You, you should get rid of Christ for that. You should trade Christ for that. Every, this was a, a torment for him. He then says this, Sometimes it would run into my thoughts, not so little as a hundred times together. Sell him, sell him, sell him. Uh, talking about selling Christ, of course. Um, so severe was this temptation that he actually had physical bodily responses to this. And he catalogs this when he writes um, and says, In laboring uh, to gainsay and resist this wickedness, my very body also would be put into action or motion by way of pushing or thrusting with my hands or elbows, still answering as fast as the destroyer said, sell him. I will not, I will not, I will not, I will not. No, not for thousands, thousands, thousands of worlds. So this thought is coming in to sell Christ, and he begins to have a physical bodily response of just pushing, saying, no, I'm not going to do that. Um and again, many people experiencing OCD today um, will have similar descriptions of, of their responses to this. It wouldn't leave him alone even when he ate his food. Um, he tells us what, uh, what, what uh, mealtime looked like in his OCD world. He says, at these seasons, he would not let me eat my food at quiet. But forsooth, when I was set at table at my meat, I must go hence to pray. I must leave my food now. And just now... So counterfeit holy also would this devil be. When I was thus tempted, I should say to myself, now I'm at my meat. Let me make an end. No, he said, you must do it now or you will displease God and despise Christ. And so basically he would sit down to eat and the thought would come, you need to go pray right now instead of eating a meal. And he would say, look, I'm just, I'm at the table. I, I'm, I'm going to eat my food. And the thought would pop into his mind, if you eat your food, right now and don't get up and go pray, then you are going to despise Christ in doing that. Um, if you think this sounds crazy, <laughs> you're not alone. Bunyan thought it sounded crazy. He said, these things may seem ridiculous to others, even as ridiculous as they were in themselves. But to me, they were the most tormenting uh, cogitations, every one of them augmented my misery. Um, he couldn't even partake of communion without it bothering him. He said this, but behold, I had not been long a partaker at that ordinance, but such fierce and sad temptations did attend me at all times therein, both to blaspheme the ordinance and to wish some deadly thing to those that did eat thereof. So he's saying when they would get together for communion and all these people were gathered together, he would start to have thoughts of harming or, or wishing that something deadly, basically that they died um, as they were partaking of communion. Um, again, some people relate to this uh, thoughts popping into their minds about killing or hurting someone. So what do we make of all this? Um, and there's there's a lot more, actually. Uh, he has a pretty significant portion of his autobiography uh, dedicated to um, unraveling all of this chaos. Uh, what, 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 do we, what do we make of this? Well, for starters, uh, we can pretty much say for sure John Bunyan was tormented. 
Uh, but we're also struck by the remarkable similarity in OCD sufferers today as they can frequently relate to what Bunyan experienced. Again, not all of the symptoms are identical, but there are a lot of things that overlap, a lot of parallel um, experiences. And so I would expect, <clears throat> if you're listening to this today, there's going to be really two responses. One reaction is going to be, what in the world? <laughs> How is that even possible? And the other reaction I would anticipate would be, I never knew that other people struggle with the same thing I do. I thought I was the only one. And it is very easy from the outside to be dismissive toward this, but from the inside, one feels like he's in a prison. And so what do we do? In formulating an answer, we want to uh, take these various symptoms, put it through a biblical grid, uh, translate it into biblical language, and so we will, by God's grace, plan on making some of these connections. And I have a list of uh, particular things as we um, translate this into biblical language, uh, what is going on in these particular situations. But I'm not going to do that quite yet today. But I don't want to leave you without any hope either. And so I want to focus, since we've been talking about John Bunyan, I just want to just end here and focus on John Bunyan's cure. And I am kind of um, jumping ahead a little bit because I do think that this is the ultimate cure. This this has to be the ultimate cure to OCD. And, and again, there's a lot more that we're going to flesh out on this, Lord willing. Um, but we're just going to kind of jump to uh, what, what John Bunyan uh, reports as, as what cured him. If you remember last time, we talked briefly about CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy and the element of good in that, uh, that I do think by God's common grace, um, there are individuals in the world who have fallen upon some helpful things in that. The element of good is that there is an attempt to help the individual see truth. Um, and so in CBT, what the counselor is going to do is they're going to say, you know, basically, hey, uh, you've, you've never thrown a baby out the window in the past, and, you know, deep down inside, you really don't want to do this. Um, the thought is unwanted, and so uh, look at truth. And, and that's a good thing. We want people to see truth. Um, but in the secular world, there's a limitation, there's a theological limitation, and only the Bible can fill in that gap. So it's not able to go far enough and, and seeing what is true about God, because that's going to be the ultimate cure. And so for Bunyan, it was one doctrine in particular that made him uh, say this at the conclusion of his battle. He writes, quote, Now did my chains fall off my legs indeed. I was loosed from my affliction and irons. My temptations also fled away, so that from that time... Those dreadful scriptures of God left off to trouble me. Now I went also home rejoicing for the grace and love of God. Um, I guess I'll probably have to go and explain what he meant by dreadful scriptures of God. He was looking at um, passages. He was going back and forth between biblical passages if you read through his autobiography. 
and there were passages that of scripture that tormented him. So, for example, the passage where Esau sold his birthright was one of those passages that he's describing here as a as dreadful scripture. He, he's not saying that um, the Bible is insufficient or there's there's bad pass- passages or whatever. He's just simply saying that um, when he saw some passages of scripture. They tormented him because he basically took them out of context. So, what, but, but, but the point here is he's saying, Now did my chains fall off my legs indeed. I was loosed from my affliction and irons. My temptations fled away. And he says, I went home rejoicing for the grace and love of God. So, the question is, what was the doctrine that caused him to say that? For him, the the transformation wasn't an instant. It was like a switch was just flipped and it was over with. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, what was the theological switch that was flipped in his mind that caused him to say this? And of course, that theological doctrine was nothing other than the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. Here's the discovery in his own words, quote, I also saw, moreover, that it was not my good frame of heart that made my righteousness better, nor yet my bad frame that made my righteousness worse. For my righteousness was Jesus Christ himself, the same yesterday and today and forever. Bunyan recognized that his justification and his standing before God was not based upon the thoughts that popped into his head. The Lord was judging him based on the thoughts that popped into Jesus Christ's head. That Bunyan's righteousness was in Christ and not in himself. That whatever Bunyan did that did not go, that was not part of what was accounted for him or against him. It was only what Jesus did in his righteousness that was counted for Bunyan. And so we might say that the answer for John Bunyan was good theology. That is what he needed. And when he found that good theology, when he found that good theology in Christ, he had victory. And uh, this ultimately is where we need to get to. And uh, to see the good theology, the, the truth that my righteousness is completely wrapped up in Christ and Christ alone. It's justification by faith alone. It is not based on me. It's based on Christ. And so we plan on, by God's grace, uh, picking up on this series next week, Lord willing. Um, if not, uh, hopefully the week after, we are doing a slight bit of traveling here. And so um, uh, we'll, Lord willing, plan on getting to that as soon as I can. Um, and then fleshing out some more. I actually kind of don't totally know where I'm going to go yet. Uh, I, I, I have kind of... Uh, the cure, as we talked about today, but I want to flesh that out some more. 
And then uh, possibly also maybe uh, just a couple other ones looking at some other individuals in church history who also struggled through this. So we'll see uh, where we go, but we're not done with the series yet and uh, plan on continuing this uh, next week, Lord willing. Thanks for listening to Crossview Radio. I'm John Marino, pastor of Crossview Church in Orville. We meet Sundays at 10 a.m. at the Orville YMCA. To find out more about Crossview Church, visit us online at crossvieworville.com.